Welcome back to Data Protection Gumbo for episode number 140. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and today I speak with Philip Emo. He is the founder of CrowdSec, an open source multiplayer firewall that is able to analyze visitor behavior and provide an adapted response to all kinds of attacks. It leverages crowd power to generate a global IP reputation database to protect the user network. Philip has created five startups and seeded 10 of them. Now in this episode, we discuss some of the biggest issues currently facing cybersecurity and how open source cybersecurity platforms combat them. So let's get right into this episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, Philip. How are you today? Hello, Demetrius. I'm fine and happy to be on the show. Awesome. It is great to have you on today. And why don't you start off just by giving the Gumbo listeners a little information about uh, your company, CrowdSec? Sure. Uh, we are an open source editor, and that's probably the most important thing. So we do cybersecurity. And we are taking in, uh, we are having a new take on this IPS uh, world, so the intrusion prevention system. So we're editing a, an IDS, an intrusion detection system, and an IPS, intrusion prevention system. They work together nicely, you know, for free. They scan your logs and they look for things that are phishing. And if they find anything, they block the attack. But you know, what's more uh, and what's different mainly is that we share the IP address behind the attack throughout the network meaning we are creating some kind of ways of cybersecurity. You know, we team together. Okay. So if something is fishy, you said you're able to detect what, what that fishiness is and do what? Yeah, so the way we, we spell fishy, the way we find it's fishy, is we have a scenario, a bank of scenarios. So those scenarios are written in YAML. They look into your log files and say, for example, most likely, Demetrius didn't fail his password three times in a row or five times in a row. It's someone trying to guess his password. So this is a password guessing attempt or brute force attempt. Or maybe we have, very, we have a lot of uh, closed uh, ports that are being scanned lately. So it's a port scan. Or we have a website uh, triggering a lot of 444350-something you know, alert codes or status codes. So it's probably a, a HTTP and web scan. And you know, on and on and on like this, you can see a lot of things happening in your logs. Actually, if your logs are properly configured, you are supposed to see pretty much everything happening on your network. So we apply patterns, we apply scenarios, and once we know a scenario has been triggered, uh, we instruct the IPS component to remedy the threat. So I say remedy and not block, because you may want to do it in very different ways. Say you're an e-commerce company, it's very scary to block someone, right? Because you may lose business in this. And uh, because if it's a false positive, oh my God, you've lost a, a cart, you know, a shopping cart. Uh, but if you're a mailing company, blacklisting part of the internet is like your day in, day out job for pretty much the last decade. So you don't sweat when you're blocking a range of IP. So maybe the mailing company, we want to block it in its firewall, whereas the e-commerce company, we want to send a capture rather, you know? And another company may want to send it to a SecOps uh, Slack channel or something like this. So you decide how you remedy the problem. Okay. And if if you were trying to convince a, a CISO, a chief information security officer, to, uh, I guess, buy into your software, what, what would that conversation look like? 
How would you start that? Well, I would be saying, yeah, I'd be saying, you know, usually what you're doing right now is detecting eventually uh, problems based on behavior only. And it's, it's probably very costly already. You have very costly firewalls, you have like maybe an anti-DDoS system and so on and so forth. But are you able to actually pass all the logs you have looking for patterns? And can you eventually customize what you're looking for? Because maybe this website is not important to you, but this VPN endpoint is critical, right? So are you looking in the right place with the right tools? And is it for free already, first of all? And the second thing is, what would, I, what would you say if I tell you, you can use a behavior engine like this one, but on top of that, this is doubled down with a, a reputation engine. Because out of your uh, local behavior, the network is building a global reputation for each and every IP in the world. So meaning when an IP address is connecting to this VPN endpoint that is so uh, precious to you, you will be able to know before it's even doing anything if this EIP address behind it is dangerous or not, as seen at the scale of tens of hundreds and thousands of machines in the world. Uh, and that makes a difference. Okay. And I know it may be a little bit challenging for individuals to, or let's say th those who are working in the security industry to really determine the real attacks versus the, the ones that may not be, be real. So how do you avoid, I guess, those false positives or maybe even poisoning attempts in a collaborative network? Yeah, there are, there are three points here uh, that you touch base on. The first one is alert fatigue. So people are just, you know, tired to have day-in, day-out alerts that doesn't make sense. So what we're doing here is filtering out the noise. It's super easy for us to remove what's like the background noise of the internet as opposed to something that is really targeted and eventually dangerous for you. The second thing is uh, in a collaborative network, as it is uh, our nature to be, uh, someone may be wrongly intended and in trying to send uh, poisoning information into the, uh, the system. You know, try to trick us into thinking, I don't know, that Google is malevolent or that IP ABCD of a competitor should be banned throughout the network. And the last thing also we want to take care of is the fact that maybe someone tweaked a scenario and it's too, it's too itchy, it's too sensitive, right? So, for example, what is the difference between a Google boot, you know, and another boot doing resource abuse by hammering your website and querying a lot of pages? It's really hard to see. So if you fine-tune your, your values of the scenario, maybe you're triggering false positive and trying to ban Googlebot. It's not a problem if you do it for yourself. It's a problem if you report it to us and then we, by extension, ban Googlebot. To, to avoid all of those cases, actually, what we do is we have a consensus engine. The consensus engine is like it's based on the trust rank. We trust you, Demetrius, because you're in the network for more than six months. You made faithful and accurate reports pretty much constantly and consistently over time. So you reach the highest level of trust you can in the network. Now, you and others that have reached this max, max level of trust can vote against an IP, right? And it's not based on the number of IP you controlled yourself. It's based on an entity. The entity being like, if you have 10,000 IPs on the same range, like or on the same autonomous server, you're considered one entity, not 10,000 entities. So now, Every IP address that gets uh, 125 votes currently against itself is banned from the network uh, all across the globe. Wow, that seems like a lot. Is, is that, that's not manually done. Is that 
more like something artificial intelligence does on the back end? Yeah, yeah. So you're right. Actually, nothing is uh, is manual here. So neither the reporting of the IP addresses, nor the parsing, nor on our end, the curation of the IP addresses. Uh, so we don't have yet some, some fancy artificial intelligence. We work on that. But it, it's pretty much it's simpler than that, actually. It's really like a, 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 a system with rules, you know, uh, that say, okay, if you're trying to ban an IP from Google, it's just no, because they are part of a whitelist. Same goes for Microsoft Update, same goes for 1111 or Quad9 or Akamai Core's IPs, you know, everything that are basically the pillars of internet and that you shouldn't touch or under any circumstances. Uh, there's also a group of honeypots uh, servers that we control ourselves that serves as a control sample, right? So we control here and there that you know, what we see is, is actually accurate with what the people are seeing as well. And yeah, with this trust run system, it's basically if you're a trustworthy person, uh, we will trust more than if you're not. And we need a lot of person to vote against an IP to actually uh, consider banning it. So this is how you end up in the what we call the FHIR database. And this FHIR database is broadcasted to all our users. All the other violations, though, are still registered in another data lake called smoke, because there's no fire without smoke, or actually there's no smoke without fire, rather. And uh, in smoke, you have 1.6 million IPs currently. So they are all IPs that have been reported, but not yet confirmed or curated enough to be broadcast, broadcasted. It's still useful to people like SOC, CM, SecOps, to confirm their own signals and their own findings. Okay. And you mentioned Honeypot, just so our listeners know exactly what that is. I know what it is, but I'm just making sure that, that they understand exactly what that means. Sure, sure. Honeypots are uh, basically servers that are simulating weak services and fragile services that cyber criminal can uh, hack into. So they're pretending they're a website, they're pretending they're an SSH, they're pretending a Samba or a terminal server or MySQL, whatever. And they are basically saying, attack me, attack me, attack me. I'm, I'm free to take. And any IP biting in this will be considered as offending. The thing is, this approach only is outdated and is weak for several reasons. First of all, because when you run honeypots, you usually automate the deployment of them, meaning you are only on one or two different clouds running tens or hundreds or eventually at best thousands of servers. Size-wise, our network is already tens of thousands of machines. It's, it's tenfold bigger. And the other thing is, it's not on one or two clouds. It's in 130 different countries, running on small connections at home, on large networks, at hosting companies, in banks, everywhere. So you cannot possibly dodge us. And the last point I wanted to highlight, it, it's better than classical CTI relying on honeypots, because basically honeypots are not real. And cyber criminals are aiming for real profits, meaning they are targeting real companies. And they barely bite into the noise, you know, into, uh, into random IPs over the internet that would be fake, you know. Or what you catch is only noise then. Here, what we catch is real signals of real cyber criminals looking for real profits. Okay. And this is a open source software, right? So in, anyone can download it and, and start... I guess utilizing it, I'm sure you have a a uh, a purchase version that you have to purchase or whatever. But 
I want to ask you a question about um, this being open source software and kind of how the revenue is generated on the back end and how do you make money from it? And also maybe give us some details around maybe the architecture of how you have it set up. Uh, I think you're, you're probably running in, in one of the major public clouds. You have some, some things running there and you may have some other configurations that you're using like GitHub and all the other good stuff for DevOps. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the software is published under an MIT license, which is free open source and pretty much you can do whatever you want with it. Just for parallel, this is the license behind Debian, you know. So it's, it's absolutely as free as it can be. Uh, it's uh, hosted on GitHub, so anyone can download it. We highly encourage people to rather take the packaged version for whatever OS they are using, you know, Windows or Linux or BSD or whatever. We have already packaged eight. 850 different packages for different distros and, and environments. It's easier and it's up to date, so rather go on Package Cloud and look for CrowdSec. So now once you have it, you have two components. One is the agent, which is basically the IDS, the one passing your logs and looking for shenanigans. And one is the IPS, the one that is instructed by the agent or by the global network to block IP addresses based on their behavior on their or their reputation, right? So those two components are as free as it can be. Uh, and they would stay forever like this. What we are selling is uh, under the form of a SaaS, and you're right, it's actually hosted on Amazon. Uh, we are thinking about being uh, on the three main clouds to be redundant and you know resilient, but right now we don't have any problem because really uh, it's microservices, so it's extremely resilient. And what we sell is extra services. So basically, if you contribute to whatever scenarios say, credential brute force, for example, or ransomware or resource abuse, you will get in return all the IP addresses we know that are doing this for free as well. But if you want extra data sets, say, for example, uh, residential proxies, which are a pest, right? Or Tor exit nodes or VPN exit nodes or geographies like, you know, you don't want IPs coming from Russia, Afghanistan, whatever, uh, or any country that you don't deal with and you don't want to take any risk. You can get those extra sets uh, and you can subscribe to a list and this costs you around 50 bucks per month to get three extra lists that you would want to add to your IPS mix. You have also extra extended feature like you know, uh, a CTI online in a console where you can see all your instances, configure them and stuff like that. We have then an enterprise plan. The enterprise plan is really about like uh, multi-tenancy, uh, having several seats so that you several people in your company can check the logs and check what's happening. Uh, you have SSO and stuff like that. And obviously data retention on the longer uh, term. And uh, you've, you can also buy bulks, uh, bulk sets or API uh, by the volume uh, at us. Say, for example, you run a large IoT device network, like, I don't know, millions of cameras. And you want to be sure that before someone connects to your camera, the IP behind it is clean. Well, during the logon process, you can, for example, make an API call and check that this IP address is clean and safe to connect with, for example. So this is API or CM also do a lot of API queries with us and stuff like that. Okay, great, great. And do, do you have any, any scenarios around how this protects against ransomware or maybe not against ransomware or what, where does this software fit in just from an overall like ransomware perspective um, problem yeah well we had to go that direction we didn't think about it first but i mean there was a lot of demand in our community so 
as sound as it can, uh, as strange as it can sound, we actually ported the agent to the Windows environments. So meaning tomorrow, like it's in beta version now or alpha, uh, but tomorrow you will have a Windows agent that you can run on exposed uh, Windows servers or uh, workstations that are internal to your LAN. So what you would do with CrowdSec here is check that you don't get any RDP uh, scan, any uh, Microsoft database scan, any uh, Samba scan, any FTP, SSH, stuff like that, so that you're not, your machine is not constantly scanned from the network. Also, we will, on the short term, create new scenarios that check if a lot of ciphering syscalls are made, like, you know, a lot of requests to the kernel to cipher files or to delete files in mass, which is usually a very big sign of ransomware coming your way. Another way of fighting ransomware with CrowdSec is pretty easy. Actually, you can buy an Orange PR1 device for 15 bucks in China, and you would deploy an ambient version uh, on it, and you run CrowdSec as a canary. So if it's ever scanned in uh, DNS, in Bonjour, in uh, Nmap or whatever, uh, this IP is not supposed to host any service. So if it's ever scanned, this canary will send you an alert saying, oh, there's something fishy in the LAN happening. So please, uh, Mr. Admins, check it out. Okay, great, great. I totally understand that. And also just from a, um, like a firewall, like if you have multiple, you know, firewalls. Um, so that's, I guess that's kind of similar to, to your software. And as far as zero day attacks are concerned and, you know, just really trying to keep the cyber criminals at bay, what do you recommend, I guess, as the best way to, to do that for someone to actually you know, kind of keep those cyber criminals at bay, and especially when, when, you, when you're talking about zero-day attacks. Well, this is where the whole idea started from. I mean, I wanted to have a dynamic firewall as opposed to a static firewall ever since the, the year 2002, because I find it's like, it's outdated. Why would you let, you know, this IP range or this address come into your network uh, thinking it's... Uh, you know, not compromise or it has a white uh, label on it and it can go through any controls. It's like if you would go into a nightclub and say, all right, so you have a fancy car, cute girl at your arm, and you seem to behave properly and have money, well, you can go in. Yeah, well, that's, that doesn't speak for the fact that maybe you had a training in Syria last week, you know. It, one doesn't speak for the other. The behavior doesn't speak for, for the reputation and reciprocally. So... You know, having a dynamic firewall is the best way of doing it because with a network of that magnitude, new IPs used by cyber criminal are spotted by the minutes. And when I say by the minutes, we, we have something like one million signals per day. Can you see how many IP addresses it is? And we feed those firewalls constantly. There is a, a, an IPS component for firewalls. So it's an IP set, right? It's just injected in your firewall in the drop rule, right? So any IP ended up in this set is dropped by your firewall and or by your firewalls if you have several of them. So the uh, local API we use is instructing all the machines you want to block those new IP addresses that are delivered to you uh, every two hours if you have a free plan, every half an hour if you have a business plan, uh, a professional plan, and every five minutes if you have a business plan. Got it. Got it. And and you also mentioned I'm I'm just going back to you said that you you're trying to get the software deployed across all of the public clouds. So right now you're you're in AWS and in Google. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, got it. 
And as far as the different platforms, like um, I guess some of the frame languages and frameworks that you work with, what, what are those? We use Golang. Uh, Golang is really, really cool because for the one that are not familiar with it, it's, uh, it's really the alliance of compiled languages like C and C++ that provides very, very good efficiency, you know, uh, extremely short kick time and extremely fast runtime. And uh, it, it offers also the flexibility of running into containers uh, and to scale, scale up nicely. So actually, one third of the people that are using CrowdSec use it in containers like an ingress controller because it's super easy to carry around, reconfigure it, spawn it, kill it, whatever you want to do with it. So yeah, we are big fans of Golang. Uh, we wanted to keep the scenarios as simple as it could be so that anyone can you know, think about something smart and block uh, any threats. So the scenarios are written in YAML, uh, very human readable language. And uh, the parsers for the data sources, the logs we are ingesting, are written in grok patterns, like regex, reg, regular expression. I cannot tell that it's really human readable or appreciable. We all know what it is, right? But it's a cause for parsing any kind of data as an input. So, But mainly all the parsers are already done, so you don't have to deal with this. And if you don't want to write things yourself, just go to the hub, and you already have a lot of configuration pre-made. So it's hub.crowdsec.net. And there are a lot of stuff already done for you. Okay, you you mentioned microservices and containers again. What what's the big deal with with containers and Kubernetes and Docker? I, I keep hearing that a lot. I, I have my own opinion, but I am more on the on the technical marketing side of the house, and I'm not a coder at all. But I've I've been in the space before. So, what's your opinion, and what's what's the hype about? Yeah, behind what you say, I think we are more or less the same. You know, I've missed this train. I'll be honest with you, I've missed this train because I've been occupied with a lot of things and I find I understand the global concept. I, I'm, not, I'm not stupid here, but the thing is, I'm not really savvy in it. So what I can tell you is like the DevOps that are currently using our software like to be able to use it in an environment that is centralized, uh, standardized, and be able to spawn as many machines as they want and fold them whenever they want. So it's really about the... Uh, um, internet on-demand thing, like the server on-demand thing, right? So Kubernetes is really highly considered by every uh, uh, admin that has to handle a lot of machines. And, and containers are very widely deployed, ranging from your Raspberry Pi running several things up to the other end of the spectrum uh, on the very large uh, clusters on AWS. So uh, we had to comply with this. It's a, it's a layer of abstraction between your, your lower uh, OS and what it, whatever is exposed in front of it. So it's very convenient to have one of those containers running. Say, for example, you don't want to, inst you're working with a large company. Let's take an example, pragmatic example, right? So you're a SecOps company, right? Uh, an MSSP, and you go to JP Morgan, you're working with JP Morgan, and you want to protect them. You're in charge of the security. You're their external SOC, right? So uh, maybe JP Morgan doesn't want to deploy your own stuff into the network. You know, it's kind of a stress for them. But what they could do, though, is drop you, your container somewhere so that it gathers the logs, analyzes the logs, and helps you uh, assessing their security without any, having any direct touch point with their own network. And they don't have to care about it because it's your container. You give them to them, they run it in some separate space, and that's fine. And the day they kill it, they kill it. Nothing is happening. So 
it, it's highly considered and, and the more we move forward, the more we see people using containers. It's really a big, big, big movement nowadays. Okay, great. I appreciate that explanation. And also, I, I poked around your website earlier and I saw you have a, how do you pronounce this? Is it Logforge or Log4j? Yeah, yeah, Log4j. The, yeah, 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 the tracker. The fallout from from that particular um, vulnerability. Like, oh, yeah. You, maybe maybe you have a story of when that first happened that's exciting to to share with the uh, with the gumbo listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So for the listeners, Log4j was uh, released around twelfth of December, and it's a it's a it's a large uh, seismic uh, shake, you know, because it's it's a ten out of ten uh, uh, dangerousness on the CVA scale. So it's it's like you know end of the world thing and it's used in so many different places you cannot even begin to 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 guess where you have log4j when you're a large company because it could be in your mailer it could be in your logger it could be into your java uh, system it could be into your website it could be into anything so the company were like really stressed with this one what happened is like it's supposed to child for us because what happened basically is we said okay we have a scenario that can block a lot of aggressions around log4j. But moreover, as soon as our community started to run this scenario, we were collecting IPs that were aggressive toward log4j. And we published those IP addresses for free for the world to defend itself. So we didn't say, like, you should install CrowdSec or whatever. This was a public list, a GIST on GitHub. It's just a, an IP list, and all those IPs are confirmed as being very aggressive toward the log4j vulnerability. And next thing you know, uh, some people from the Pentagon and the DoD uh, touch base and say, wow, that's great. Thank you for that. Uh, it's helping a lot. And we're like, okay, this is exactly what, what we have a community for. Because by crowdsourcing this effort, in a matter of hours, we had a very strong answer to this problem. I'm not saying it's a silver bullet. I'm not saying we covered all the corner cases or caught all the IPs. But honestly, we probably got rid of 99% of the danger right away in, in a matter of hours. So that's exactly what we, why we created the software for. Wow, that, that's, that's an awesome story. I'm glad I brought that up. Because, you know, crowd, crowdsourcing and everyone working together and now the way that we're in this digital world. Um, so being able to utilize all of the technology and the resources out there is pretty awesome. And so, uh, Philip, before I let you go, is there a uh, maybe a recommendation uh, for the Gumbo listeners, maybe a book recommendation. Are you reading anything interesting right now? Or Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of um, Liu Xingqin. It's a Chinese writer who has done the three-body problem. So if your guys are into sci-fi, which I highly uh, uh, suspect, they can totally look into this book. It's a great book. And I'm also reading right now El Goland by uh, Carlo Rovelli. Carlo Rovelli is maybe the next Einstein on Earth. This guy is absolute smartness and he has a great way of you know, explaining what the universe is or could be and uh, why we are actually maybe just, how to tell you, it's, it's complicated, but it's fantastic. It's the story of time and, uh, and of reality that highly encourage everyone to read about that. It's called El Golan. Okay, maybe you can send me the link on that. Absolutely. All right. And one final thing here, if you had an opportunity to go back in time to when you were 16 years old, what would you tell 
your 16 year old self something that you you didn't know yeah uh well enjoy every day you have with your family your parents and your your close relations because you never know how for how long they are on earth first of all and uh sadly i lost them early on uh so i would definitely spend more time and that's why i'm trying to spend more time with my son so because i don't know how for how long we are on earth and the next thing is like be bold be brave don't fear don't fear because fear is paralyzing you fear is the poison for the mind so just you know trust yourself go forward be professional and you know life will smile to you so uh whatever is your dream go after it and, and people will, will understand what you're after and will eventually uh, follow you and, and work with you or invest in your company. So yeah, don't fear. This is the worst thing you can do, specifically for the new generation. There's a lot of reason to fear everything nowadays. Don't. This is the worst thing you can do for yourself. And, uh, and just look at the opportunities, look at the future. It could be bright. Look at the bright side of things. Awesome. Well, I, I love it. I love that advice. And do you have a social media handle you would like to share? with the Gumbo listeners or? Sure, you can follow us, CrowdSec on Twitter, uh, Crowd underscore security. My Twitter handle is Philip underscore Humo, H-U-M-E-A-U. And you can obviously join us on Discord, on Discourse, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. We are pretty easy to, to find out. Just Google CrowdSec, avoid putting an X instead of a C. You may find another website that is not related to us. Uh, but otherwise it's crowdsec.net. It has been a pleasure having you on Data Protection Gumbo and I really appreciate it and thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Demetrius. Anytime soon. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn, and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.